Are you there, Paul? Shows his picture. Yeah, but I... It's weird. I never heard, like, any dialing or anything. It just made the, like, the little... Oh, my God, he's frozen. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> That's his picture. <laughs> oh! Nothing. nothing. Paula, can you hear me? Oh, he just messaged... It's, he says, I'm having a mic problem. You're having a Paul problem. I can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's a mic problem. There's no Mike Bailey. There's no Mike. <laughs> there's no Mike. There's no Paul. There you go. That'll oh, be your back. All just- me. Says <laughs> <laughs> I can hear you. I'm a regular speaker, but it's not working. Okay, so go up to. Hang on, let me figure this out here. Go up to. I believe it's tools options. Yeah, go to tools, then options, then audio settings. And you can set everything right there. You can set your microphone, your speakers, where you want to hear everything. Okay, he's typing something. What do you type a war and peace? <laughs> My mic isn't showing. Okay. All right. Yeah, try that. That's right. Do the Scotty method. I'm going to shut it down. <laughs> I cannot change the laws of microphones. You know, I never knew that a microphone and a speaker were essentially the same thing until oh, yeah. yeah, until I was installing them in a uh in a juvenile detention center. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we put them we took you know, we put the speakers, they 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 build the speakers into the light fixture and it's protected so that the kids can't smash the speaker and he's like, "Well, that's h- how we listen in on them." I'm like, Oh yeah, you're right. I didn't think about that. All it is is a coil, and it vibrates, and it and it picks up sound. Holy shit! <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> I mean, I guess I knew it, but I never really just put it all together that that's what it was. So yeah, valuable lesson. I Big learned brother. that when uh, my mother had this thing. It was called a pillow microphone, mm-hmm. or a pillow. It was a pillow speaker, rather. It was a pillow speaker. It was a little flat. It almost looked like a, I don't know, like an emergency stop button you would see on like some piece of equipment or something. You know, it was yeah, just, it, was yeah. round, it was like this squarish round. It was like a rounded square black. It looked like a button, mm-hmm. and it was a little speaker intended for you to literally like slip it under your pillow and fall asleep listening to music. And there was one day we were using it for something. Chris and I were screwing around because we used to record a lot of stuff when we were kids, you know, just messing around with the old tape recorder. Yeah. And one day I had plugged it into the microphone jack instead of the speaker jack. And somehow or other we discovered that we could record with it. And that's when I first realized that, oh, yeah, a speaker and a microphone, essentially it's the same <laughs> the same thing. Yeah. So we use that a lot. We actually, that's how we got um, a water effect sound because I flushed it down the toilet. So we could, <laughs> we could record it from inside the toilet bowl and then slow the, slow the sound down for water effects. It was actually pretty cool. Uh. And then we, we wondered later why it didn't work so good anymore. 
Yeah, I wondered that when I used to take my X-wing when I was a kid, and I would, and uh, my my grandmother's front yard down here in Florida. You know, there's she, this was back in the '70s, and she had the the yard of stones. <laughs> so it was really easy to play a desert planet, and I I would go out there and I would push all the rocks out of the way, and I would bury the X-wing in the sand, fill it all up, bring it in, I'd run it under the utility sink. <laughs> Look now, now I'm in a water planet. Oh my god, I filled up with water, and then I'd press the button. Ooh, it doesn't sound the same anymore. <laughs> I wonder why. And then I would take my toys apart, and I'd uh, I'd put them back together. Hey, why do I have this extra part? Ah, can't be that important. Hey, how, come, how come the button doesn't work? How come the the uh, landing gear doesn't come down anymore? Hmm. Odd. Yeah, I uh, I used to just torture my toys. But I yeah. played with them. You know, I played with them till they fell apart. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like my kids keep their toys all nice and pristine and everything. Hell, I didn't. By the time I got rid of my toys, they they look like they'd been played with. You know, they were well loved. Not my son, man. Oh, he beats the beats the shit out of the toys. Really. But that's good. That's good. I just let them, you know. Usually we go down when uh, the local comic store is running, you know, like a buy one, get one action figure for free. We'll go down and grab a couple, you know, <laughs> beat them up. You know, I'll find Thor Thor in the bathroom. Uh, Thor, what are you doing here? You know, behind, be, hiding behind the toilet. I'm like, what are you looking up my wife's dress? Fuck, get the fuck out of here. Take it the crap. <laughs> I say the nay. <laughs> Smack him with the plunger. <laughs> what was that, Thor? Ah, shut up. Find Namor in the toilet. <laughs> He's going for a cold. Oh, much better. Uh, good deal. I had a feeling you'd be willing to join us, Bill. <laughs> uh oh, did I just get Shanghai again? Uh oh. That's funny because that's exactly what I what I wrote to Paul too. I was like, I wonder if I can Shanghai Bill again. That's exactly what I see. Said. I see it as a totally different thing, and maybe I'm wrong. But if I think if we're not asking you to prep a book, we're really not Shanghaiing you. <laughs> we're just saying we enjoy your company. Oh well, thank you. And, and people haven't stopped downloading because of you. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what are you trying to say? <laughs> I'm trying to say that my New York Jets really suck. <laughs> I got the game on while we're talking here. Uh, uh, uh. Just threw another interception. God, they oh. suck. Well, that's okay. The Bucks won. F- well, excuse me. The Bucks lost forty-one to zero. So that's probably just how, how bad are the Jets losing? Jets right now. It was seven to three, and then I started going into my computer panic. So hey, at least they scored. <laughs> <laughs> well, they have to win every single game and get lucky to make the playoffs. You with me, Scott? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, know what a big I, I don't know what the hell you're talking about, but yeah, I'm here. Uh, football. <laughs> Do not understand football. <laughs> I kick ball. I don't know. Oh. So you, you just were uh, in for the bullshit session, or you, you weren't advised that we might be recording tonight? No, no, I was just on playing Star Wars Angry Birds, and I saw, <laughs> like, all these people popping up. I'm like, well, let me see what's going on over here. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I don't have a book prepared or anything. Well, did you, Scott, did you figure out a book? Uh, oh, yeah. I, yeah, I got a book. 
All right, you got a DC? Yep. All right, I got a Marvel, you got a DC. Bill, you want to hang out and just uh, give opinions? Um, hmm. I got to drive to Tallahassee in the morning. I know that means nothing to you. It's like... <laughs> It's well, a five no, hour. If I if I had to drive to Tallahassee, it would be like a thirty two hour drive. <laughs> yeah, so so Damn, that's true. <laughs> yeah, it's about a five hour drive for me. So I was going to probably head out probably another couple minutes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like I said, I I I obviously have too much time, especially uh, since I found Star Wars Angry Birds tonight. I was I I, I was. I was just playing the crap out of that. I've beaten all the Tatooine levels, and I'm now waiting for the Death Star. <laughs> I started playing that, but I kind of lost interest real quick on it. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm just not a video game guy like I used to be. Maybe I'm. Get, maybe it's a sign of getting old. Yeah, that is, that is Our- a sign of getting old. <laughs> it, I, you know, it, it 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 happened when I tried to play Call of Duty with my son, and he kept shooting me in the head. <laughs> you know, and then it was like, you know what? I had enough of this. You know, that's just because there's too many damn buttons. Give me one stick and a button, I'll kick your ass. I know. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. the Give thing. Me an I, I want a 600. Yeah. You know? I, I don't think... know. There's a stick and a button. Let me show you, son. Yeah. <laughs> See, I think that there should be um, an old an old school Atari 2600 controller feature for the uh, Xbox 360. Yeah. Because I don't need all those damn buttons. I need one. Shoot. That's the button I need. <laughs> Left, right, run forward, run back, shoot. Yep, shoot. Done. That's it. That's all That's I need. Insane. Although I would take a second button if it was the unzip and piss on your opponent button, like from <laughs> Postal 2 would be awesome. Do you kids play this thing Minecraft? Yes, Christ. You know, no. Whoever invented I- that, I want to slap the shit out of them because, yes, they play it unceasingly. My, my son's got the Xbox. I mean, it's got these graphics where it looks like it's real people. I mean, right. it's unbelievable. And then he's playing this shit graphic game, and and it's like, why are you doing this? But have you and seen think, some of the things people have built on that? I have, but still, man, you know, you pay five hundred dollars for you know the goddamn Xbox three. We have them all. We've got the Xbox three sixty. We've got the Wii. We've got the stupid Connect thing for both of them. You know, where you can wave your arms and it does shit. We've got all that, all the features, all the bells and whistles. You know, the kids want all the latest $60 friggin' games. You go and get them all that shit and new controllers and just all the bells and whistles, and what do they do? They play something that looks like Atari 2600 for 60 hours, you know. It's ridiculous. It's like, you know, I should have just gone and got the fucking 2600 out of the garage, you know? It's like, what the fuck? You know, I got this big screen TV now that we just, you know, went and got, and we're in debt, you know, paying for I could have seriously. I could have just gone and and gotten you know our our old TV out of the bedroom and hooked it up to the twenty six hundred and been like, here you go. Look, have it's fun. pong. Exactly. <laughs> it does. <laughs> I mean, you know, Logan's sitting there playing. Literally, he'll come home from school and that's all he does is a damn Minecraft. Just sit there building shit. And I'm thinking, you know, he's always like, hey, Dad, look, you know, Dad, look what I built. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, great. It looks like Yars Revenge. You know, it's like what the fuck. There's a uh, there's a Christopher walking through of him doing Minecraft. Oh God! <laughs> Do they also watch the YouTube videos of other people? Yes. I, I don't get it. I don't get it either. Somebody's somebody's a genius somewhere. Yeah, somebody's getting rich on it. Yeah. Do they both do it or just Logan? Both of them. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of the Xbox, I won a uh, well, my son won an Xbox 360 with, with the Kinex at. Um, 
our company picnic. Damn. So, so yeah. So he's telling me that the kid that, that down the street, you know, he's like, yeah, he plays this game called Just Cause 2. Now, I'm not up on the Xbox games. So, you know, he's he's playing a demo for it on our Xbox. And I'm looking at it, and he's doing these stunts, and he's he's driving a motorcycle. He's jumping off of mountains. He's opening a parachute. And I'm like, oh, that looks pretty cool. That looks pretty safe. Yeah, okay. So I start looking around. You know, it's like I can't find it. I can't find it. I finally used one for like eight bucks for just just cause the first one. I'm like, oh well, I'll get him this one. I don't pay attention to the teen rating on it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, first mistake. Yeah, and 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 um, um, I just give it to him. Like, hey, look, buddy, I got you know because he just turned eleven. I'm like, look, hey, I just got you this and. So I go out of the room and I uh, he starts playing it and my my wife comes in holding it. She's like, "Did you read this box?" <laughs> no. Why? What's wrong? She's like, "Teen rated," you know, and it says so and so goes into the jungles, of, you know, like and is trying to overthrow a company or a a um, South American country. I'm like, "Well, it can't be that bad." And then from the other room, I'm, I hear, "I'm going to torture you till you." you to you f and die, and you're gonna shit. I'm like, yeah. it was only ten. Of yeah. course, it's not M. <laughs> it might have been M. I don't know, but it, it, it. I, I don't think it had in it, but it was like you know, shit and ass and hell. And I'm like, you know, some man. of them do though. <laughs> yeah, but like, usually, usually those are the mature games. Mature, yeah. Because I, I know when when my son was 11, I really didn't think there were any problems with the teen games, but the mature ones took a while before I'd let him play. Mm. Yeah, so I kind of screwed the pooch on that one. <laughs> you know, of course, you know, my son comes in and I'm playing Fallout 3 and I'm like blowing people's heads off. Hey, what's up, buddy? Yeah, oh, did you see that? Whoa, your old man got up good there. <laughs> you know, oh, I blew his legs off, man. How about that? <laughs> so what comics are you guys doing tonight? It's a surprise. Uh-oh. Do you not listen to Back to the Bins? haven't listened in a while. Wait a minute. Is this we haven't been making back to the bins in a while is the problem. Which pisses me off. Yeah, but you left off at 99, didn't you? Yeah, well, we're going to be at 99 for a while. <laughs> 99B, 99C. No, exactly. No, cuz you run out of letters eventually, so we have to go 99.1, 99.2, 99 and 15/18. Did you, in fact, did you ever get the uh I the did. Rest of that finally, I finally, finally did. Can you believe it? Cool. I just kept pestering him until he finally sent it to me. And it's actually a pretty good show, too. Yeah, I remember it being good, vaguely. It's been so long since we recorded I know. It. I sat down to listen to it because uh, I was kind of, uh, my intention was to listen to it on my drive to and from work and kind of do some, some mental editing. And I was listening to it. And it started off, you know, right at the the beginning of the show with me saying, well, you know, this time tomorrow I'll be at Star Wars Celebration. I was like, holy Christ, was this that long ago? Oh, my God. That That was August? Yes. yeah. That's That's ridiculous, ridiculous, dude. I had no idea it had been that long. So, yeah, I feel really bad. You should. (laughs) So, well, one way or the other, we're we're back and we're going to start knocking these out because I like this show too much. And the show is far too popular to just let it – I mean – Every other show that I that I do that's not Two True Freaks has been languishing. I, I've got to have one, you know. 
Mm-hmm. I've got to have one that's just purely comics, you know. And you know, I'm I'm totally with you. So I like having the three man dynamic with the Marvel, DC, and indie, and <laughs> I heard even when we're you. discussing them, but. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. But I, but I, I, you know, I didn't want to believe it. But yes, I heard that about you. If we can't get all three together at once. Uh, you know, I'll, you know, two is fine. Not touching that one. I'm too going straight to Facebook with that. Taking it right out of contact. Too easy. <laughs> Paul says, when three men aren't available, two men will suffice. When three men like each other. Well, one, one of my uh, one of my buddies listened to uh, Comics Monthly Monday, and granted, he's my friend, so he's you know prejudiced on it. But he said uh, that you should be changing the name now to Two True Freaks, Paul, and that other guy. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing Mike is the other guy, but well, I kept waiting for somebody to call us out about that show, and it finally happened. I heard uh, Michael Leyland say something about. Uh... It's two true freaks, except when it's not, because they have more than two people. <laughs> you know, uh, have you ever seen the thing online called the Akinator? The Akinator, no. It's it's this, it's this game where, you know, you, you think of a character, it can, and it could be somebody in real life, it could be fictional character, it could be a sports figure, whatever, and it, it basically plays 20 questions with you. It keeps asking you questions, and then it tells you who you're thinking of. Oh, so, okay. I was doing that online with my son earlier tonight, and of all people, he said, see if it can come with, up with Morgan Freeman. <laughs> so, it was the very first question, right? Well, I mean, it asks a bunch of questions. You know, is it a real person or fictional? Is it, you know, is the person still alive, whatever? And then after about, like, the 15th question was, is he white? The answer was no. And then the next, 16th question was, does he have freckles? <laughs> And as soon as it asked that, it was like, okay, we know he that, that it knows who it is. And yeah. as soon as I said yes to that, it said, I'm thinking of Morgan Freeman. Hmm. What is this, Akinator? Yeah. It's okay. the Akinator. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've given you 20 questions, Scott Gardner. You figure out who I am. It's it's really kind of cool. It's it's you know stupid, but it's cool. It's <laughs> stupid, but it's cool. Which is probably the story of most things that I do. Hey, Paul, watch this. Hey, Scott, did you ever, t- did you ever tip our waitress? Uh, I did not. <laughs> was that, was that uh, during uh, Star Wars? No, no, that was when I went over. When was that, September? Sometime in September, I think. That was like two, three weeks after. I, I went over for something for work, and uh, we, we went to the late night pig-out bar at Golden Corral. And uh, we went in there and we paid for way the Way ahead food. of you, Paul. Hmm? I'm way ahead of you. Oh, you found it already? Yep. Oh, okay. Are you playing while we're talking? Yes. Are you pulling a mic on us? Yes. <laughs> I'm looking at it now, too. <laughs> Don't be installing shit now. Oh, god damn it. Uh, oh, you got to no. watch those. There's the play button down at the bottom that comes up. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, screw that. Oh, Jets just scored. Nah, we went to uh, we went to the Golden Corral and we paid we paid for the food and then went, when we went to go to tip the waitress, neither one of us had any cash. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh man, that's the, that's the worst thing because you know <laughs> that you're screwing her over as you're walking out. Yeah, I mean, we even apologized and said, well, you know, we're so sorry. And then uh, <laughs> we suck. Sorry. 
we, we have- did that one night by accident. We a bunch of us went out to a restaurant, and somebody miscalculated. You know, the everybody chip in this amount, and somehow it worked out to the exact amount of the bill and not with a tip, but nobody realized it. So we walked out, and like as we walked out, we saw the waitress like coming to the door and staring at us. And that's when we realized that somebody screwed up. Whoops! It's like okay, we can never go back to this restaurant ever. How many questions does it ask? It it there's no set amount that it does. Oh, so it asks until it gets it. Well, I think after it hits a certain number, if it doesn't, oh, he's get getting it, frustrated. It'll he's eventually not- tell you I'm I, I I don't get it. Scott, you're not trying to do yourself, are you? You can you can actually do yourself. <laughs> you're thinking of you, aren't Wait you? Wait a minute, is your character Holy disabled shit. in any way? Well, he's dead. Does yeah. that count as a disability? Who, who's, who's your character? Because I'm not, not going to tell you. He's not going to hear you, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> you might tell him. <laughs> he's he, he's afraid that behind the scenes, I'm actually the Akinator. <laughs> Is your yeah. character linked with the color blue? What? All right, that's 20 questions, dude. In my opinion, I just won. Yes, he does wear ties. Okay, I'm going to keep going here. Is your character singing Spanish? No. Rush Limbaugh. Well, why Has not? ever been a world champion? I don't think so. Wear glasses? No. Boss of an important company? Yes. I that's think of Roger Goodwell. You are wrong, sir. Ah, oh, you beat him. You are correct, sir. I hope you're happy. You've, you've, you've humiliated the poor Akinator. You've crossed the Akinator. I beat you. <laughs> so who who were you thinking of? Oh, Walt great. Disney. Thanks. Now you just stuck that in my head. Isn't that from a movie? Walt I Disney and it didn't get it? Didn't get it. Well, the yeah. thing is, is it said it asked me if he was connected with sports. And I said yes. And I think that through... The thing How is he up, connected with sports? He is connected with sports because he only appeared in two of his own movies. Of all the movies he made during his lifetime, he only ever appeared in two of them. One was The Reluctant Dragon, and one was um, Moochie of um, Pop Warner Football. Nah, see, oh, come I'm, on. I'm That's a stretch, dude. That. You think I'm it's just, I don't bullshit. know. I thought, I'm, okay. All right. I think if they say, uh, is he connected with sports, was he on like a, a team? Like a sports person. Was he a player? Yeah, no, that's was he why a coach? I debated whether was I should. Was he an owner? All right, I'll try it again. Was Walt it. Disney ever married? Oh, yes. Okay. I don't know. He's dead. Disney. Are you doing it too? Has he, been dead? Has he been dead for more than 100 years? No. Yeah, I'm no. trying it. Has he ever governed his country? No. Linked with ice? I don't know. He must have made a movie <laughs> that had ice in it. <laughs> I don't know. Is, is, he an, is he an actor? Disney on ice. He's frozen uh, somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's true. He is with ice. Has he been dead for more than 20 years? Yes. Was he murdered? I don't believe so. Is he a scientist? Dun, dun, dun. No. Is he a character from romance anime? No. No. So associated with Batman? No. Is he American? <laughs> yes. Just so Does he have Disney a is Batman. Does your character have a special weapon? You have to ask Mrs. Disney. Is he was he a war veteran, Scott? I don't know. Yes. Do he wear a uniform? No. Is is he Uruguayan? <laughs> <laughs> is your is he considered from a, your well, generation? Ooh, that uh, no, I don't think he was dead before I was born. Well, well, yeah, I guess he was. Yeah, yeah. 
Yep. Well, it took a twenty-five questions, but they got him. Well, mine. And mine. they even have a nice picture of Uncle Walt there. Mine came up Roy Disney. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm not doing it all. All right, I'm done akinating for now. No more akinating. <laughs> your character associated with plants. Well, he's pushing up daisies, if that's what you mean. Uh, no, he's not. He's frozen. Sh- yeah. Disney on ice. Okay. Once again, I've made it to the 21st question, so I'm not all that impressed with well, the 25, 25 for me, but it got Walt Disney. Is your character fat? No. I think... Wait, it's asking uh, you a different Walt question. Walt Disney. Oh, he did. He made it within 25 questions, so all right. Oh, I like See, the picture, too. You're not totally unimpressed now. You'll find yourself playing again, believe me. If you're not playing right now. <laughs> that's right. Uh, no, that's it. That's it. That's all I got. You have no other... Fuck <laughs> you, Akinator. <laughs> He was getting frustrated. I like the fa- how the faces change, though, when he starts to get frustrated that he's not getting it. That's pretty cool. I, I'm kind of shocked that he asked me if my character was Uruguayan. <laughs> you wouldn't think there would be that many characters. There Although, should I guess be a if button, I said yes. There should be a button that, that asks him, who the hell are you thinking of with a question like that? You know, like, you know, yeah, who, cool. who are you narrowed down to type of thing? <laughs> but you, you, like, you know... When we were playing it before, my son even said, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do you." So it kept asking questions, and you know, eventually it got to, "Are you related to this person?" It was like, "Yes." Has he ever been married to your mother? (laughs) (laughs) Well, not in this country. (laughs) All right, I'm gonna do it one more time, but I'm gonna mess with it now. You you messed with it with the sports question. No, this is true. Yeah, maybe you should vet all the questions with us. No, I'm just gonna mess with him. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna answer alternately every time, and just to see who he's thinking of. He'll come up with somebody. All right. I don't even have anybody in mind. I just want to see who he's thinking of. Great job, Paul. You created a monster. <laughs> I did. Wow. <laughs> so new, new to the Two True Freaks Network, the yeah. Akinator Show. <laughs> okay, so question Scott versus one, the Akinator. Is your character's gender female? Yes. From a TV series? No. Ever been in a movie? Yes. Blonde? No. Really existed? Yes. White? No. <laughs> is your character black? Well, you just asked me if there are white. Okay, well, I guess that's not necessary. There are more colors. There is Red Fox. Okay. Yes. Was your character hyperactive? No, it's not Thomas Dolby. Uh, do flashlights irritate your character? Yes. What is, Absolutely. What is he trying to say? He's an albino? fond of alcohol? No. Is your character in a poem? Yes. Is your character a singer? No. Is your character ever been well, in a hell-like uh, dimension? Went, yes. Did, didn't he is sing? your character a, is like your character a sniper? <laughs> no. No, wait, that was Mr. Rogers. He was the Army sniper. <laughs> is your He's character got the more than 50 years old? Yes. Is your character associated with comedy? No. Your character's is your character love lions? Yes. 
is your character a TV show? No. (laughs) Is your character linked with ice? Yes. Is your character still alive? No. But I think you asked me earlier if it was still alive, and I said yes. Is your character an actor? Yes. Is your character fat? No. Is your character a beautiful woman? Yes. Did your character die young? No. (laughs) Is your character a singer? Or does he work with a singer as in a singer or a songwriter, producer, or musician? Yes. I think of Eartha Kitt. (laughs) Just the fact that it came up with anybody should make you happy. That was a really weird set of back and forth on that one. All right, now I'm going to mess with him further. No! I'll be right back. Continue? Yes. Question 26. Does your character play in the Bourne movies? Uh, yeah, sure. Less than currently... Currently less than 30 years old. No. Has your character been dead for more than 20 years? Yes. <laughs> you've, you've, you've broken the Akinator. I hope you're happy. Has your character lived in France? No. Is your character friend speaking? Yes. Oui, oui. Walt Disney. Has your character been featured as a leading role in a musical? No. Is your character a teenager? Yes. But earlier I answered yes that it was that they were more than over fifty years old. I think of a player that probably needs a brand brand new glasses. <laughs> oh, so basically it called bullshit on you. Yeah, it did. It totally did. Come on, don't don't bullshit me. That was it. It knew the second time. I'm not going to play with you anymore. You are making fun of the (laughs) accinator. (laughs) I do not like you, Scott Gardner. Accinator says, "You prick!" I'm going to have Morgan Freeman come and kick your ass. That's All right. right. Are we doing a show, Paul? <laughs> I don't, are, we, are we doing the Akinator podcast? <laughs> the Akinator. <laughs> Welcome to episode one of the Akinator show. Today we're going to have it guess my mom. <laughs> <laughs> See, I call shenanigans on the fact that it didn't do it within 20 questions. If you can't well, do that, it that was my questions. own mis- misinformation that I gave you where I said 20 questions, though. But it should be 20 questions. They had that little... Remember that toy that was real popular just a couple years ago? It looked like a... It looked, I think it was either a square or it looked like one of those old... Uh, the Magic 8-Ball, I think. And yeah, you, and it would ask you, you you'd think of something in your room, in the room with you, I think. Something like yeah, that. Yeah. I think I tried that with like a screwdriver and it got it. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah, I, yeah, I didn't have one. It's okay, was, Paul. I was underprivileged. <laughs> it's all right. You're a big boy now. You could go buy one. <laughs> no, I can't. <laughs> I can't find one. for like a dollar now. Probably. Are we back? We're back. Back to the bin. Hello, and welcome to Back to the Bins. This is episode 99.1, and I am Scott Gardner. And joining me is my very good friend, Paul Spataro. Hey, Scott. Hey, how's it going, man? 
It's going good. I'm happy to be on the air and recording about some old-time comics for <laughs> the first time in quite some time. It has been forever and a day because, uh, well, you know, of course, the listeners by now, they will have heard uh, last episode, finally. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, uh, here here's full disclosure on what happened with that, folks, is uh, my recorder uh, wonked out on me during the recording of that particular episode. So I did, I got portions of the episode, but I didn't get the full episode. So I had to rely on a backup recording for the full episode. And, you know, things have just gotten crazy in our lives and, and we've just had a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. So there was no great pressure, no great, uh, rush to, to get the episode out there. So by the time I finally got that backup copy, sat down to do the editing on it, you know, it, it starts out, and I'm not sure if you'll hear this in the actual episode or if it was the preamble to the episode. As we're recording this, I haven't yet finished doing the episode. Anyway, it was mentioned in there that, like, the next day after that recording, I was going to, to Star Wars Celebration. Well, that was back in August, and I was like, oh, my God, has it really been that long since we've recorded an episode? Well, yeah, apparently so. So uh, I apologize. I, I knew that we were taking a little impromptu hiatus, but I did not realize that it has been that long since we've recorded an episode. So, uh, wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. embarrassed. <laughs> I hate I, hiatuses. Yeah, I do too. I can't, I can't stand them. But sometimes, you know, sometimes things just happen. But unfortunately... You know, unlike, uh, say, Two True Freaks, you know, where, where Chris, you know, really has done a bang-up job stepping in, you know, during my recent hiatus over there, um, you know, with, with Back to the Bins, despite the fact that there's three of us, somehow it just, you know, we we all just kind of took a hiatus all at the same time, so... Yeah, but, I understand uh, that uh, old man DeMonzo is not happy with us. <laughs> I, I wasn't happy. I was like, oh, man, we can't get the show out, but... Oh well, hopefully uh, we can we can be back in uh, and on some sort of regular time frame now. I'm hoping anyway, because you know episode 100 looms, and uh, and I'm anxious to get to that whatever it turns out to finally be when it uh, when it does happen. Well, I mean, the last time you and I spoke, and that wasn't a recording that's going to be aired, but we discussed a possible format for episode 100 that I thought was pretty good. So hopefully we'll. You know, we'll we'll get me, you, and Mike together, and we'll be able to put that together. Hopefully, hopefully. But uh, but yeah, we are back at least for, for the time being, anyway. So we are we're going to uh, we're going to have a, a good old fashioned old school episode of Back to the Bins for you tonight. With uh, you know, you have brought a Marvel to the table. I have brought a DC to the table, and we're just going to have a lot of fun with this. I think. Um, I know that we do have some some email and some feedback. Um, I'd really rather hold off on that until we've got the full crew here. So we're recording That's a little fine. bit earlier tonight. So I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think at the moment Mike is actually recording um, one of his other shows. I don't know, Views from the Bat Crisis or something, whatever <laughs> he's doing. So. But uh, yeah, well, I think I think the three of us have to sit down and figure out like the best time for all three of us to get some recordings done. So with any luck, we'll we'll get a regular schedule going again soon. I think we just need to kidnap him at this point. I think that's really what needs to happen. Well, when when the man is in, what what is Mike in? Thirty, forty different podcasts, something like that. Yeah. So it's, he's he's in demand. Well, you know, we're just lucky that he gets us any time. 
don't 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 feed his ego. <laughs> don't you don't you don't know what it's like with him. That's true. I don't. <laughs> but anyway, so let's see. You've got the Marvel, so you go first. Is that right? Okay. Yes, I do. And like I All said, right. I had I had this prepped <sighs> right after we recorded the episode that <laughs> <laughs> that will be showing up on the feed just before this one so it's almost like we're in some sort of time machine and i'm prepping it just just in the right time but uh <laughs> hopefully i'll actually remember it as i as i go through this but my book this month or this week is alpha flight number six it's got a cover date of january of 1984 and it went for 60 cents the cover is a very cool minimalist cover by john byrne which is pretty much an all-white background and a relatively small shot of Snowbird in a defensive position, and with the word Snowblind underneath her, which is also the title of the story. The story and the art are by John Byrne, lettering by Michael Higgins, coloring by Andy Yanchis, I don't know if that's correct, and it's edited by Linda Grant, and on the splash page there's a stamp that indicates that the reader should beware because it's Assistant Editor's Month. The normal editor on the book was Denny O'Neill, and we'll talk a little bit more at the end of the synopsis about what Assistant Editor's Month was all about. The story opens up at the office of the Chief of Staff of a remote military outpost in Canada. Snowbird, in her normal human identity of Anne McKenzie, is being questioned. Normally, I would say that, her, that she's in her civilian identity, but she isn't a civilian. She's a corporal in the Canadian military. The Chief is asking her about her unauthorized absences from the post, and she responds by saying that the chief's predecessor had approved them. The chief reminds her that his predecessor is now dead and that he is in charge. He orders a man named Doug Thompson to have her confined until a full investigation is conducted. Doug, who is apparently friendly with her, walks into the prison area and leaves her in a cell. And then from there, we cut to an oil drilling site 40 miles north of that base. A man, who appears to be a Native American is speaking to the foreman and telling him that they're drilling in a very bad place. The foreman explains that he respects the man, but that their seismology is showing a big blip that has to be oil. Coincidentally, at that exact moment, some type of energy starts to crackle around the drill, and the energy explodes from the area, tearing the oil rig to pieces. The men appear to be, surpri- the men appear to be unharmed, which is very surprising considering the size of the explosion, and a strange-looking beast man is standing by them in a triumphant pose, exclaiming that he is free after a thousand years. Kolomak is free. And Kolomak looks to be about 12 feet tall, with long white hair covering most of his body. I would describe his face as looking like it belongs on a totem pole. We cut back to the prison cell where Anne McKenzie is thinking about how her human identity is becoming a liability to her, and she senses a breach in the mystic field which looses a beast, and she quickly transforms into Snowbird. Minutes later, Doug is bringing Anne some blankets and sees that she's gone from the cell and there's a large hole in the wall. Snowbird is already two dozen miles away by that time, flying to confront the beast. We cut to Guardian, who's flying home and enjoying his time now that Alpha Flight is independent of the government, and he's enjoying it because there's no pressure on him, and he thinks about how how it's a stroke to his ego to be Canada's version of Captain America. He arrives home and sees a piece of mail from Rocks and Oil and wonders why they'd be writing him, which is kind of 
pretty silly of him, considering that he was just thinking about the fact that he's currently an unemployed petrochem engineer, and he gets a letter from Rocks and Oil. You would think he'd kind of have an idea what that be, what that's getting to. But he opens the letter, scans it, and in his best Clark Kent imitation says, Great Scott, we leave Guardian, and that subplot has to be addressed in later issues, but we don't see him anymore in this issue. For, for now, but for now, we join Snowbird as she meets up with Kolomak. He says that his battle is with his ancient enemy, and he responds that he has older enemies and tells her to look and see who he faces. Well, she tells him to look and see who he faces. The Beast responds that it's the power of Nelvana in mortal form, and that if she is truly a child of the gods, she knows his power. At this point, it appears that he's generating a blizzard and says... The words are, fool it now, which I guess is a poor job by the assistant editor on this one, because I have no idea what that means. And then from this point forward, because the because of the blizzard that Kolomak is generating, combined with Snowbird's power, which only manifests herself as white beasts, the next six pages of the story are purely white panels with sound effects and dialogue bubbles and boxes. No actual images. But in those words snow snowbird thinks about how kolomak is the living embodiment of winter but can be attacked directly as can any creature with physical form and she attacks kolomak as a polar bear and as they battle they begin to fall and snowbird changes from the bear into a great owl but it's apparently a tremendous strain for her to change from one animal to another without assuming her human form in between Snowbird collapses at a cliff edge, and Kolomak calls to her that he still lives and still hates. Snowbird thinks about how there were seven great beasts, and that the old gods sacrificed all to stop them. She now has the power of the old gods, but it is diluted in her human form. She decides to strike at him in in her human form. For reasons I don't understand, this catches him off guard, and he staggers and falls. She wonders what he is doing, at that mo- and at that moment he attacks. She thinks that she's bleeding and starts to panic. She pulls herself together and starts to taunt the beast. He unleashes his full power towards her, and she fights to hold on until the energy expended by the beast causes an avalanche, once again imprisoning him. As Snowbird recovers, <clears throat> excuse me, as she recovers, Snowbird is approached by the workers who let the beast loose. She tells them, to arrange for the rock slide to be sealed with concrete in order to make it more secure. She then leaves, thinking that her kinsman might soon be free and end her time on Earth. And that's the end of the story. This particular book actually had a second story called The Old Ways, which presents an origin for Shaman. And uh, basically, it's just something of him basically being a young man and not trusting in the Shaman ways but then kind of going through a trial by fire and learning to basically have respect for them and to have faith in it. And I'm not going to go into any more details than that. (laughs) Uh, But the only thing I would say about the second story is that the way Byrne drew it, uh, he seemed to play on the whole Dr. Strange, uh, Steve Ditko era. Like he seemed to take some, uh, some inspiration from that and try and go with that as his style a little bit, which is kind of cool to see Byrne do a little bit, you know, differently with the style. Are you familiar with this one, Scott? I haven't read it in a long, 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 long time. As a matter of fact, uh, as you were doing your synopsis, I was going into my uh, 
my digital database to see if I have a copy of this, which I do, and I'm uh, working on pulling it up right now just so I can I can take a quick look at it. But I have this this series, you know, the just the burn issues. I have like one through. Um, I think it's 28, which Byrne didn't actually draw, if I remember right. But it's the one where where he, you know, he wrapped up, you know, his portion of the book, and the Hulk came. I remember the Hulk comes back at the end of it. It's where the Hulk um, emerged from uh, from his time at whatever that was called, the Crossroads, Crossroads. of Infinity, of whatever. But, well, and that's uh, when him and Bill Mantlo traded Alpha Flight, Alpha Flight for the Hulk, right? Right. Yeah. But. Uh, I read that, you know, I, I remember picking up issue one off the stands when it came out. And I don't remember exactly why I picked it up. I, I'm thinking I probably picked it up just because it was John Byrne, who by that time I knew him from uh, Fantastic Four. And I don't think I even realized that they were spinning out of the pages of X-Men or anything because I, mm-hmm. I didn't ever follow X-Men. As huge as a, of, a, of a fan as I was of, of Burn, I discovered Burn um, through Fantastic Four, not through X-Men. So it's funny to me. It's, it always amuses me that, you know, arguably the thing that Burn's always going to be best remembered for is, is arguably his uh x-men stuff you know it's it's considered you know legendary and all that sort of thing you know it's w- what it is for uh for comics but it's just it always just kind of cracks me up because i i just i don't think much of it to be perfectly honest with you i think the art's beautiful i like some of the story elements that sort of thing but i'm, I'm just i'm not never was much of an x-men fan so i always liked the x-men i i they, they, for some reason, appealed to me right from the start. And when I first started, they were still in their reprint run. Mm-hmm. So it was before the new X-Men were introduced. And I don't know, there was something about the the whole dynamic of it being the school and everything that I, I really just kind of hit a chord for me. Right. And, I, and I've always been a fan of the X-Men. And then when they, you know, when they rebooted it and uh, came out with the new X-Men and you know, I, I enjoyed it right from the start. I liked the the Dave Cockrum run, but when Byrne took over, it it really came to life. Right, and and you know, I, I just that that run. I mean, he took over. I think uh, probably about a, issue one hundred six or one hundred seven. Yeah, I was just gonna say one hundred seven, one hundred eight, something like that. Yeah, right in that and, era. And he stayed yeah. to about one forty four. Well, one forty-three, well, one forty-one and one forty-two. Yeah, were, something uh, like that. Yeah, one forty-one and one forty-two were Days of Future Past. One forty-three was the one with Kitty Pride, right? Yeah, and I think that may be his last. I think issue. that's the last one. Yeah. So when when you think about it, I mean, it's only a thirty, thirty-eight or so issue run, which is, I mean, it's a pretty good run by net by today's standards. But right, you know, when you, when you think back then, you know, you thirty-eight issues isn't you know this historical run it's right. just i i think they they crammed so much quality into that 38 issues that that it, it it is a historical run it is well i i didn't mean that as like a like a bashing or even as a as a harsh criticism just trying to put it in in personal context for myself is that you know i i, I i'm sure i would feel completely differently about it if i had been reading it and and collecting it as it came out but 
I just didn't. I, you know, I, I really discovered burn, um, you know, as far as like really taking note of, wow, this art is just awesome. And, you know, really paying attention to his name and then beginning to follow him with, I'm almost positive. I don't know the issue number, but I think it was the issue of fantastic four where the old man who had like ultimate power, do you, mm-hmm. you know the one I'm talking about? Yes. It, it kind of had the, uh, just a silhouette of him on the cover. Yes. Yes. yes I, I, I definitely remember that. That was probably, that was only maybe his third or fourth issue. Of yeah. That I wasn't far into it. Yeah. And, and I remember really being enamored of that and the nature of comics being what they were back then with the old spinner racks and everything, the issues of his run that I had missed up to that point, you know, because like you say, that was only a few issues into his run I was able to track down pretty readily. So, you know, I got the one where, uh, you know, the cover of it was somebody, I can't remember who they battled, but it was like somebody was waving their hand and Ben Grimm was, you know, reverting to his human form. And I, I, that's about all I can really remember. It was like a purplish cover. I think the black Panther guest starred in that, in that issue, if I remember right, you know, you know, just that, that handful of books right there. So, you know, I was so enamored of of Burn from FF that I started paying attention to him from that point on. So when this series debuted with a with a brand spanking new number one, plus it didn't hurt that it had everybody on that cover. You know, it had not only Alpha Flight and the X Men, but I think Spider Man was there. I, I want to say the Avengers were there too, if I'm not mistaken. But, on the uh, cover of the first Alpha Flight, the first one, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure they were. And that was that was a pretty like a, a gutsy move by Byrne because he didn't really want to write Alpha Flight is my understanding of it. Right. Uh, and what he did was instead of making it, you know, your your traditional team book, he kind of focused on individual characters every issue. Mm-hmm. And, and that was not, you know, it was far from traditional, like I said, and, and it was kind of controversial at the time. Right. Uh, but but I guess he was saying, hey, you know, I don't want, I really don't want to do this, so I'm going to at least indulge myself and do it the way I want to, if you know, if I have to do it to make my paycheck. Sometimes those are the best, you know, that's that's the best origin story because it it, it sort of mirrors, in a funny way, uh, Stan Lee's origin story with Fantastic Four. You know, he he was ready to quit comics and his wife just said, you know, well, you know, you're going to quit anyway. So go ahead and get it out of your system, what you've always wanted to do. See, I've heard the same story with um, Burn and Alpha Flight that he had no interest until he heard that, well, if you don't do it, someone's going to. Mm-hmm. You know, so he thought, well, you know, if they're if they're just bound to determine that they're going to publish an Alpha Flight book, then OK, I'll go ahead and, and I'll do it. And uh, and I like that. And you're right. You know, the, the team dynamic was very original on this book because it wasn't really a team dynamic at all. It was, once again, what I always liked best. It was kind of a team of freaks that were just kind of thrown together into the mix. And right. it was I like that. I, I'm always a fan of that, especially when they're, you know, very uh, dissimilar characters, very disparate characters, and especially when they're. Um, you know, they're either B and C listers or they're complete unknowns because it adds that extra layer of jeopardy to the title where you you really feel like anything can and might happen. And in this case, it did. You know, I mean, within a year, the leader of the team was dead. You yeah, know, which, which, was, which was a 
very shocking when it happened. Yeah, it was. It was a big deal. Um, and and I think if if again if my memory is serving me correctly, I think he had created the character of Guardian, and mm-hmm. then had presented him in Avengers one ten or so. Uh, but I don't think he actually ever really created the characters of Alpha Flight until. You know, Claremont suggested that they go there in around issue one seventeen when they when they revisited it, and I don't think he really had fully fleshed out backstories for all of these characters. He just kind of came up with interesting visuals, right? And then all of a sudden, he was asked to create a series starring them. So I think you know it was a little bit of a challenge, you know? Right. What's so, funny for me is that this is one of those teams that I have fond memories of the book, even though I've got very, I have to admit, very, very vague memories of the book. But I've got fond memories of it and even fond memories of, of the characters or fond feelings, I, I guess I should say, for the characters. But I'm perfectly honest with myself. There's really only like two or three characters on the whole team that I like. I never really uh, connected with Snowbird in any way. I mm-hmm. never connected with North Star and uh, and his uh, sister um, Aurora. Aurora, and I never ever liked. Um, sh- was it Shaman or Shaman? I guess it just I, depends on how you pronounce. Sh- oh, I always okay. said Shaman, but shaman. I think I think the true pronunciation is Shaman. But you know, I loved Sasquatch and I loved Puck, and those guys yeah. kept me coming back to the title again and again. Plus, I always thought Guardian had one of the coolest looking outfits, um, you know, in in comics, honestly. And of course, it wouldn't really click with me until you know later that well, duh, he's just wrapped in the Canadian flag, you know, so he's basically you know Canada's Captain America or you know Captain Canada, I guess you'd say. But there was already a Captain Canuck. At that yes. time, so you know, and I think his outfit was kind of similar, if right, I remember yeah. right. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it was very similar. Um, but there, was Captain Canuck Charlton? He may have eventually been acquired by Charlton, or he may have originated with Charlton. I'm not sure. But the issues I have are, um, gosh, I'd have to look it up to tell you. But it's uh, it's not one of the not one of the big ones, and you know, not even one of like the the big ones. From that era. Hang on just a second. I can look that up for you real quick. Let's see. Captain. Oh, this is fascinating audio. <laughs> well, I just looked it up on uh, on uh, Wikipedia. So you know it's got to be true. And it says he was originated in 1975. Right. Uh, but it doesn't say who published it. I'm just waiting for my... Uh... Published by Comely Comics of Winnipeg, Manitoba. Yep. Uh, it just wow. pulled up. Oh, you know what? I was thinking. I was. I was just about to say. Well, I have a, a Captain Canuck number one, but it's not the number. It wasn't like the first because there were several different series. But you know what? If what you just read is correct, I actually do have Captain Canuck number one because the cover date on it is July nineteen seventy five. Number one, first fantastic issue by Comely Comics, comics with an X, Captain Canuck, and yeah, his outfit is a i would say it's an amalgamation of captain america and guardian because he's got all right let's see if i can paint the picture for you his bodysuit looks um let me see envision the adams bodysuit basically but colored um like like that is it crimson 
it's like a satiny kind of crimsony red color. Mm-hmm. And he, he, so he's got, but he has, you know, the face mask and everything, kind of like the Atom. But where the Atom would have an Atom on his forehead, Captain Canuck has a red maple leaf. And his cowl is white. And then there's like a stripe that comes down the front of him. His shorts are white. He has Captain America style gloves that are white. His leggings are red. And then his boots are Captain America, you know, the, the swashbuckler style boots. And they're white. So, you know, he's, he's red and white, just like the Canadian flag. And he's got the Canadian flag, or excuse me, the maple leaf, rather, on his forehead and on his uh, belt buckle. His belt is red to break up, you know, the white in his, in his uh, torso and in his trunks. And then the belt buckle is white with a red maple leaf on it. It's a really dynamic look. He looks really cool. He's not quite as cool looking as Guardian, in my opinion, but he does look pretty cool. But if you, if you look at that cover, the way they have the Canadian flag behind him, it's very, very similar. Like, you could see where Byrne might see this and say, yeah. I can do it better. You're and right. I'm going to incorporate that flag right onto the costume. You're right, because you know what? The way he's standing there, he blocks half of the maple leaf. So you're literally seeing half of it in the background. If you take that half and put that superimposed over the front of his outfit, you've got Guardian. Yeah. Because Guardian doesn't wear the maple leaf on the front. You know, it's not like Superman's S-shield where it's front and center in his chest. Guardian's maple leaf wraps around his torso you know what i mean so it's Mm -hmm. not it's not centered and i always liked that too i always thought that was rather original really i i can't really recall another character who was literally wrapped you know in their flag or emblem or whatever they were wearing you know he's you know everybody else always has you know they follow superman they have their their thing right on their chest, you know, be it a bat or the, you know, the letter, you know, S or, you know, a number four or whatever. It's always dead center with him. It wasn't. And I thought we thought that was really cool. Yeah. And I, I don't know that, you know, Byrne took his inspiration directly from this, but being a Canadian himself, I'm sure he was, would, I'm sure he was at least exposed to this at some point. Right. The other thing I have is, is okay. This one's years later. It's from Semple Comics, which I don't think I've ever heard of. Semple Comics, S-E-M-P-L-E. This is issue zero, September 1993. It says, Prelude Issue, Captain Canuck Reborn. According to Wikipedia, that's the third incarnation of yeah. Captain Canuck. <laughs> well, those are the only two that I've got. But you know what? These are both, if I'm not mistaken, these are both unread issues in my collection. So next time it's my turn again for uh, for the indie selection. I just I just might have to go with this uh, Captain Canuck number one because I'm now I'm very curious. I have no I have no idea who worked on it. I don't even know where I acquired this. Quite honestly, I'm sure it was from a collection that I I bought when uh when I still lived you know in the North Country. As a matter of fact, I may have gotten it from a Canadian uh, comic shop, like in a 50-cent bin or something like that, because mm. I'm always a sucker for you know, oddball comics like that. Well, according, according to what I'm looking at, though, Charlton apparently never did uh, <laughs> Captain Canuck. Well, don't, I mean, don't feel bad. Like, 
you know, because the the colors and the, I don't know if you're seeing an image of of Captain Canuck number one there on Wikipedia oh, yeah. or not, but it, it looks very Charlton. You know, the the color scheme and and just their use of color, and I don't know what you call that that printing process that is like quasi painted. But this looks a lot like the same coloring style that I remember seeing a lot on issues of John Byrne stuff for Charlton, like, say, um, Doomsday Plus One or Space 1999. They, they, it's this weird, I don't even, not even so much painterly, it's a, uh, it almost looks like it was done with markers or something. You know what I mean? Right, right, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's really dynamic. It, it does look very Charlton. So I'll, I'll just I'll take that as my excuse to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so the, I mean, I, overall I thought this was a good issue, but you know, kind of forgettable in its own way. And and part of uh, what I saw with that is the fact that uh, this character of Kolomak uh, didn't appear again for quite a few years, and has only had, from what I could tell, three other appearances. Uh, one of which was in Chaos War, which is, I, th- I believe, one panel. <laughs> and they, he apparently appeared in an issue of X-Men and an oh, issue wow. of X-Men Universe. And that's it. See, I didn't think these guys ever... I wonder if Tundra ever appeared again, because I remember that was the villain in the very first... See, I liked that they fought um, Canadian monsters and, and threats. I thought that mm-hmm. was really neat, you know, because Byrne... You know, obviously, he took great pride in his heritage and in in his citizenship and all that. And so, I liked that. You know, this was a Canadian team that operated in Canada and dealt with home front threats in Canada. And I felt like the book really um, lost something when it just became, you know, a, a, an extension of the, you know, everybody else in the market. Because I remember picking up. Um, there was a five-issue miniseries a few years ago called um, Omega Flight. Mm-hmm. And I picked it up just purely out of curiosity and because I found it like dirt cheap. I think I paid like a dime per issue for the entire series. The art was beautiful and everything. I read the first issue and, and just kind of like, well, I don't think I need to read the rest of that. I don't think a single character on that team was Canadian. And as a matter of fact, they were. I think they were being led by U.S. agents. And I was just like, U.S. agent. They had Beta Ray Bill. Yeah, I was like, who that? You know, I mean, I knew who the characters were, but like, how how did this happen? You know what I mean? I I, think there was some of the original, not original, but some of Alpha Flight. Uh, I don't remember whether whether it was Shaman's daughter. I think you're right. Yeah, took over as Shaman at some point in the series. Yeah. And, and I can't even remember, but I think there were a couple of characters that were from Alpha Flight. But yeah, it was weird that they had all these non-Canadian characters when that's really the whole hook of the series, right? So I, I remember, I, yeah. but it wasn't a bad series. I remember I read it, and it, it was it was entertaining. I thought. I may I may revisit it at some point, but I was just disappointed that it it. It wasn't anything like what I remembered, you know what I mean? But then again, like I say, I I didn't really ever read beyond, you know, the original Burn issues. I, I think I have a couple scattered issues here and there beyond the Burn stuff where it may have tied into another storyline or something like that. But I never followed 
the book again. You know, I, I didn't follow the characters. I, I have no idea what happened to, you know, to everybody. Yeah, but, uh, same here. But I love the cover on this one only because it reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you remember the all-comedy issue of um, What If, the original What If series. Mm-hmm. Issue 34 was an all-comedy issue. And it had you know these goofy little things in there like you know what if the what if the Hulk were yellow instead of green or, and stuff like that. I remember there was one panel, or there was one page rather where the top panel was completely white, and it said, "What if Silver Surfer, White Tiger, Knight Rider, Iceman, and Moon Knight fought Wendigo in a snowstorm?" Right, <laughs> that's, right. <laughs> that's what this cover reminds me of, you know, because it's all white except for you know Snowbird. You know, is just a little tiny figure in the in the middle of the page. But looking at this first page reminds me an awful lot of the first page of uh, the Further Adventures of Indiana Jones, where it's in Indy's classroom, and you've got a, a woman who's looks very similar to uh, uh, what's her name here, Lieutenant, whatever her name is, or Corporal. Whatever you said her name was, is Snowbird's, yeah. you know, it's Alter yeah, I Ego. Was Mackenzie. Mackenzie, yeah. Looks very much like her, even kind of standing similarly. I, I really like that. This would, I think this would have been right around that same time, too, if I'm not mistaken, that Byrne had this done. Uh, 1984. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. But the art in this is gorgeous. This is it's really nice. I have yeah, it's, ama- it's amazing that you time. could have an issue that, you know, the whole light, the whole joke of the issue is that there's not that much artwork and still have it be so compelling it is it's nice colomac looks like uh who's that character is it the man ape oh from uh black panthers uh, yeah enemy yes the man ape uh i i can't remember what his <laughs> real name is but uh yeah yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, a lot of the pages are just white. <laughs> there's like six, nothing but just just completely white with just some sound effects and word balloons. Yeah, but he 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 used it to good effect to tell his story, though. He did. He saved Marvel on the on the ink for <laughs> the production of this one. Which brings us back to the whole assistant editors month. Uh, I guess uh, what do you would you call it a stunt? I guess. Yeah, uh, kind of a yeah, kind of a. But uh, they, they came out with some of their best stuff ever, or some of the some just things that are memorable to this day at least. Oh yeah. Uh, during that assistant editors month. Uh, and and some of it, you know, you wonder if they would have just come out with it anyway. But uh, the one particular that I think is routinely listed as people's all-time favorite, you know, on, on people's all-time favorite list is in Amazing Spider-Man 248 that month. There were two stories. It was a split book. And the first one had a kind of a forgettable story with uh, Spider-Man fighting Thunderball from Thunderball, the Wrecking yeah. Crew. But the second one is the story that almost everybody lists as one of the best Spider-Man stories of all time, which is the kid who collected Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And that's one in particular that I wonder, is that one that somehow came from Assistant Editor's Month or 
you know, would they just have, would that story have been written anyway? Because that was just a great, great story. There was some other, uh, you know, more gimmicky things. There was Captain America 289, uh, featured the Mo Skull, which was a combination of Modoc and the Red Skull. Right. Which is just a, a very weird visual. Uh, Dazzler number 30 took place in the Marvel offices in Manhattan. Uh, Micronauts number 56 actually had some Fumetti pages in it, which is, the, you know, when they take photographs and right. just put word balloons on them. Uh, Avengers 239, the Avengers appeared on Late Night with David Letterman that month. I actually have that issue uh, signed by Roger Stern. <laughs> That's, That's actually cool. one of my favorite issues of the Avengers. Uh, Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, number 86, uh, was drawn by Fred Hembeck in his style. Oh, that's right. That's right. Is that the one where he fought the fly? Yes. Yeah. And, and, and if my memory serves me, he, it was written as a normal issue. But right. Just drawn, yes, it was. Just drawn in that Hembeck style. Yes, it was. Yep. Now, Fred Hembeck is the, uh... Well, not the only, I mean, I have very small ones, but he was the first artist that I actually obtained a decent-sized piece of original art from. <laughs> and I have, I have a picture hanging in my office of uh, Superman and Spider-Man together in Fred Hembeck style. Oh, wow. I'd love to see a, a Fred Hembeck recreation of the cover of uh, Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man. That would be very cool. <laughs> yeah, that would be. I'll, I'll have to... Uh, I'll have to post on the Facebook page my uh, my handbag picture of the two of them together, though, because <laughs> I, I have a I, I I actually contacted him and asked him if he had a scan of it as well, because I already had it hanging up and when I thought of it, and he emailed me over a scan because he must keep a copy of everything he sells. That's cool. But the last issue on my list of the gimmicky books was Marvel Team Up number one thirty seven which teamed up Aunt May and Franklin Richards against Galactus. And uh, at one point, if now I don't remember if it's in the story or if it's in a hostess ad, <laughs> but uh, Aunt May kind of becomes Galactus's herald. Yes, golden, the golden oldie. oldie. Now that's in that story, right? That's not a hostess ad, is it? It, it is in that story, but if memory serves, it turns out that that story is just a dream. Yeah, well, they, they originally said it wasn't. I believe that they, you know, that this was real and not a hoax. But then later on, they were like, "No, we can't do that." <laughs> it was just too ridiculous. Now, but then there were other other books that came out that month that just didn't participate in the assistant editor's gimmick. Uh, Fantastic Four two sixty two had the trial of Reed Richards that month. Oh, that's right. Yeah, which was a pretty cool storyline. Wasn't uh, the issue? With Herc pushing Thor off the cover of his own book, wasn't that an assistant editor's month book? I think it may be. Because I think that's what Herc's saying. Something like, Walt Simonson is on vacation and so art thou or something like that. And he's he's actually shoving Thor off the cover of the book. And that's, I want to say it's by Bob Layton, if I'm not mistaken. I can picture the image in my mind. but Yeah, but I'm not... Uh... I'm not sure if that's an assistant editor's. I always thought that it was, but maybe I'm wrong. Let's see if I can find an image of it here real quick. I'm not sure what issue that is. I'm sure everybody listening just wants us to search the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Fascinating audio. Well, I'm just trying to look to see what months we're talking about. This is 1984. 
And it's right in that. Yeah, here we are. It's Thor 356. I should remember this better because I just got this one autographed too at uh, at MegaCon this past year. Ah, there it goes. Oh, maybe it's not because it's not bannered that way. It well, just says, stand aside, Thunder God. Walt Simonson is on vacation, and so art thou. So it January say- 1984 was Thor 339, which it looks to be a regular Walt Simonson issue. Okay. All right. Well, that answers that. So they it, must I have think, just... I think the uh, the UPC box mentions something about it being a sister editor's month, but it's not really reflected... In the cover, as far as you know, like a like a comedy cover or anything like that. But yeah, it says uh, warning: surgeons uh, have generally determined that assistant editors' month is dangerous to your health. Is what it says in the uh, UPC box. That's on the you, Thor issue. Mm-hmm. Three fifty-six yep. or the three thirty-nine. Three thirty-nine. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's got a. Uh, it's that's an awesome cover too. It's got a. Uh, Asgard looking very much like an Escher painting. And you've got, I think that's, oh, yeah, that's Odin. He's doing some sort of power whammy onto uh, Beta Ray Bill's hammer, Storm, whatever it is, Stormbringer or Stormbreaker, one of the two. I can never remember. I think it's Stormbreaker. Breaker? Yeah. I think. As uh, Thor and Sif are looking on in the background. Sif's kind of got the child rearing hips in that picture. <laughs> You know, something I discovered not long ago that I never knew is that um, Sif and um, Heimdall, oh, brother, and, brother sister. and sister, I yes. never knew that before, which now really makes me question the decision for what they did with uh, with Heimdall and, uh, and Thor. It, didn't, it never bothered me until I learned that, and I was like, okay, how does that work exactly? I, but oh, Then again, just... I guess they can, you know, they can have... Uh, that sort of thing going on in Asgard, I guess. It just, it just, it's in always... Asgard, you can do things differently just because they're gods. Genetics are different. This is true. This is very true. Walt Simonson, you know, one day we're going to have a discussion about Walt Simonson because I think his stuff is awesome. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't fit the mold of stuff I normally would like. Like, if, if you started, you know, if you took other artists besides Walt Simonson and you stopped piling them on the I like pile and the I like I dislike pile. Walt Simonson kind of fits into the mold of something that I probably shouldn't like. Right. Because I'm much more into a clean art style. But his stuff is just so great that it, it, it overcomes whatever deficiencies there are in that respect. Uh, by, by a mile, it overcomes it. It's just so good. I have always, always been a big, uh, a big fan of Walt Simonson, even before I knew his name. You know, I knew his his art style because, you know, some of the earliest comics I got as a kid were early issues of Detective back when Detective was uh, was more of an anthology title. And like so right around the time of like the Bat Murderer storyline and stuff like that, um, there was the Walt Simonson uh, Manhunter uh, serial mm-hmm. feature that was in there. And I had several issues of, of that storyline and just loved it. If you've never read that, it, it's been collected and it's really worth looking at. It's phenomenal because in the last, the last bit of it, I want to say I, I think it's the very last chapter, but it's at least you know, one of the the last chapters in it. Um, 
it actually ended up crossing over into the the Batman storyline that was happening in the book too. So then you get Manhunter teaming up with Batman, drawn by Walt Simonson, and it's just beautiful. Simonson does a really awesome Batman. Well, I was just going to say, I don't think I've ever read any Simonson Batman, but I could see what his style would just just be so you know moody and and just capture the the darkness without being overwhelming with it. And it mm-hmm. just it seems like it would be a perfect match. It is. It's really nice. And of course, Simonson, uh, you know, is always uh, gonna, you know, he always gets the, the the credit for me for you know for making me a fan of Thor, because I can remember, you know, as a kid going to the comic shop, you know, during the era when when he was working on Thor, and even though it was Simonson doing the art, I gave Chris Honeywell, you know, just an awful time about. You know, he was picking up Thor every month. You know, and, and we'd go to the comic sh- you know comic shop, and I was getting whatever I was getting. I don't know what I was getting at that time, Fantastic Four and whatever else. And he was buying Thor. I'm like, dude, Thor, seriously? And he kept telling me how awesome it was and trying to you know suck me into the story. And I was just like, eh, it's Thor. Thor is so you know lame. And and uh, years later, when when Chris you know got out of comics, he ended up selling me a large part of his collection, and that's how I wound up with a complete run of uh, of Simonson Thor, and was just sitting around one day and thumbing through you know thumbing through stacks of comics, and I was like, hmm, you know, I never did look at these, and that's all it took was just opening up, you know, cracking the cover to that first issue, you know, where where uh, Simonson took over and brought in Beta Ray Bill and all that. I think it's like, what is that, like 337, that one with Beta Ray Bill smashing right. the, the right. word Thor on the cover, and I, I was hooked. That was that was it. That's all it took was just, you know, getting over that initial prejudice of, eh, it's Thor, you know. Well, no, I love Thor. What, what he did for me, and it's kind of reversed itself over time, but as a young comic reader, I didn't like Thor stories that took place in Asgard, but I liked right. when he fought, you know, the Wrecker or, you know, somebody along those lines. Uh, and then Simonson is the one who opened my mind to, to the Asgardian stories, which now I prefer those to him on Earth fighting, you know, just regular supervillains. Right. Because well, he, 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 just, he, he just made it so accessible. He brought the the grandeur and the mythology to it, you know. So it, mm-hmm. it wasn't just, you know, this weird alternate dimension. It wasn't just this weird like Ditko verse or something. It really felt like he was the mythological Thor, and I yeah. really liked that. I mean, most everything I know about you know mythology I've gotten from. You know, reading Thor, you know, especially his run on Thor or like, uh, you know, Perez's run on Wonder Woman, stuff like that. You know, I really like that these guys went and did their homework of, you know, what were the old stories and what were the relationships and what, you know, characters from actual mythology could they could they pull into these stories? I really like that. I, I love when they, you know, it, it's not just comics at that point. They're actually elevated you know, to a whole new level. I really like that. Yeah, and I and, thought and, he did a nice blend between, you know, the earthly adventures and the uh, and the Asgardian adventures. I, I'm, I, 
really feel like somebody must have been paying attention to that, you know, when they when they did the Thor movie, which was the thing I worried about most when I heard that they were going to make a Thor movie. I thought I'm really amazed of all the Marvel movies, including the Avengers, of all of them, I think the one that still impresses me the most as far as, wow, they actually pulled it off is probably the Thor movie because it's just one I didn't think that they could make. I just didn't, I, I didn't think, think they work. could either. And I thought they I, I think really part job. of what he did too was he he got rid of the difficulty in getting involved with it because of like the Thor speak all the these and thous and all of that. Mm-hmm. As, and as like again, as a young reader, that that was kind of off putting. Right. And and I I don't remember if he just eliminated it altogether or if somehow he just made it so that it was okay. I remember him uh, I don't think he did away with it, but I remember that he um he made it more accessible. It, it, it became more of a uh of a grand way to talk, you know, almost mm-hmm. like uh you know, in, in a lot of ways like like Star Wars. You know, Star Wars sometimes has a a more uh I'm trying to think of how to describe a more elevated way of speaking, you know, where people speak in a slightly more regal. Um, I hesitate to say Shakespearean because I hear that applied to Thor a lot, that he has like a Shakespearean because I don't see it that way because I, I think of Shakespearean as being very stilted and, you know, you better get out the dictionary and the encyclopedia to figure out, you know, what people are saying. I don't think Thor's like that, but it's just. You know, it has more of a bearing and, a, and more of a weight to it. You know, kind of a, almost like an old English or something like that. But I, I really like it. You know, and I liked yeah. it with his because it wasn't as stilted as some of the Thor adventures that were prior to that. Because I've gone back and tried to read more uh, Thor. You know, prior to uh, to Simonson, and it's very hit and miss. Well, I, I recently went back. I've gone done this with a lot of series, but I recently went back and I started pretty much from the beginning and worked my way up and got up to about issue 200 or so, which they started with issue 70 something. So it's not quite as impressive as starting from one and getting to 200. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, so it, 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 a lot of it is hit and miss, especially in the beginning They, you know, Stan clearly didn't know where he wanted to go with it, whether it was going to be, you know, a traditional superhero or whether he was going to be a, you know, fighting Loki or where he was going to go. Right. Uh, and then eventually he got his footing, and and that run in particular, uh, if you wanted to see, you know, I know we've debated Jack Kirby in the past, and if you wanted to see some of Jack Kirby at his best, uh, just to see, you know, whether whether you still dislike it, uh, you know, Thor around issue, from like issue say one sixty to one seventy around there, I think that's some of the best Jack Kirby you'll ever see. Mm-hmm. I'll agree with that. Yeah, I actually like uh, uh, Kirby's Thor run. Uh, I've read a whole lot of it, and I actually really like it a lot. Because um, I've got, I don't know if I have complete collections, but I know that I have a lot of issues of the reprints they were doing of Thor. Like, what was it, Marvel? Oh, God, what was it called? It was one the, of those reprint titles. I can't remember the, what it back, was called. Like in the 70s, you told yeah. me yeah. Marvel Special Edition? Special Edition, yeah. Yeah, I've got... I think I have all of them, but... All of them, or most all of them, but yeah, they're all from Kirby issues. And of course, the... Uh, um, the old Marvel superheroes, you know, the 60s animated series, 
Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff that they did with Thor was from the Kirby issues, too. And I, I do. I like the look of that stuff because it, it kind of set the tone for what Asgard would look like for a long, long time. And I really like that stuff. Plus, you know, Kirby, you know, his imagination and, and the way he draws and everything, really, I think it fit with that world. You know, it was a chance for him to really unleash... And it didn't look weird or wonky like it might in a different book and a different title, like, I don't know, like Fantastic Four or something, which I know that's probably going to sound like blasphemy to some people out there. Absolutely, that's blasphemy. (laughs) But I liked it with with something like Thor because it was another world. It was another dimension. So, you know, when he really let his imagination run and created all these, these, you know, fantastic worlds and fanciful elements, somehow it really... For me, anyway, for for my you know visual aesthetic, it, it really appeals to me. I really like the look of his stuff. Where I I didn't like it, um, you know, when applied to to more mainstream types of comics. If you ever get a chance to see the they recently reprinted in a, in a trade, or actually I think they did it as issues, but then they did it together as a trade. They took the old Tales of Asgard backup features that Kirby had done, mm-hmm. uh, which all have that element to it that you're talking about. And, but what they did was they used the modern printing process for it. So the color really pops on it. And, you know, you, you kind of see what Kirby's work would look like if it was coming out now. Uh, right. And, 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 it, and it really does it justice to see it colored that way. I'd like to see that. Cause I remember they did that on an old Ant-Man story. I think it was right around the time of uh, when Wasp died. Yeah, they did it with her initial appearance That's right. in, from Tales yeah. to Astonish. And I really that. liked it. I thought it looked really, really nice because it was not only cleaned up, like it was recolored in a very modern style. And uh, wow, yeah, it did. It looked really fantastic. Well, I think one of the, the ballsiest things that uh, Simonson did with his run on Thor was he did away with Don Blake. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, at the time was that was a big deal. But looking back on it now, I think that that was just I think it was a brilliant move because I've read a lot of those old issues, too. I, I had sat down at one at one time intent on doing what you just said, starting with whatever the first one is. Like, what is it like 83 or something like that with first Thor and reading right up to, you know, at least up into the uh, the Simonson stuff, because I've read pretty much everything Simonson forward. And uh, I made it through a lot of the stuff. I haven't made it as far as I would like. But it, it was pretty evident to me right from the get-go that Lee didn't really have a plan for or, or really understand uh, Don Blake. Because he seemed to go back and forth between Blake was Thor all along. You know, and and just trapped somehow, like in this mortal shell, or Thor was actually kind of like Billy Batson. He was his own fully formed person who, you know, had his magic moment and and became, you know, he was still the same person, but he was imbued with the power of Thor. And it just never worked because it was very, very inconsistent. One issue it was one way and the next issue it was the other way. And it was back and forth, back and forth. So it really made it tough to 
get a handle on Don Blake. Who, you know, who was he exactly? And I don't know that they really ever did address that right up until um, Simonson just did away with him. No, they they did it. They did. Uh, I'm trying to remember now, and I'm looking while we're talking, but I'm not finding it exactly. But around the time when I was talking about it, around 160 or so, they had. It's actually one, issue 159. I just just found it. They had a story where they explained how basically it was almost like the uh, the way they did it in the movie. You know, Thor had gotten a little too full of himself and couldn't be controlled the right way, and basically Odin sentenced him to get humility and sent him down to Earth. But instead of sending him down and just stripping him of his powers the way he did in the movie. He sent him down and created the persona of Don Blake for him. And basically taught him humility through his time as Don Blake. So, you know, he, he that that's basically the explanation. So they did, you know, finally come up with that. And uh and they've they've revisited that on several occasions. Uh even recently there was a run where uh Basically, now Don Blake and, and Thor are separate, and Don Blake was sitting there talking to someone and explaining about how he didn't exist until he was created as a persona for Thor, and now he's been separated from Thor, and he has you know, basically no purpose in life or whatever, and then it turns out he's talking to the Enchantress, and she... You know, he was like begging her for power or whatever, and then she does something to him with... It got really weird. She like chopped his head off, but she's walking around with his head, and it's still talking to him. It got very, very strange. Huh? Yeah. When you but, first started saying that, I, I thought I had read that story, but yeah, now, now I don't think so because I don't remember anything where she chopped off Don Blake's head. So, yeah, yeah I, there was something where like she chopped off his head, and then his body turned into like this you know, ogre type thing that ended up fighting Thor, but while she was carrying his head around. It was, it was kind of dopey, if you ask me. Yeah, that sounds really strange. Yeah, and I, uh... I don't know how they resolved it as far as what ultimately became of Don Blake at the end of that. But this was within, like, the last year. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I haven't read it that, that modern. Because I was reading it, it was Thor, I guess technically it would be Thor volume... I guess it's Thor Volume Two, that one that started right after Heroes Return. The J.R. Junior. Yeah, and, and uh, I read that right through the end of the series when it was, uh, you know, Dan Jurgens and right. everything. And then it, the last storyline, I thought was awful. It was that Omen guy who I don't like, mm-hmm. and 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 it was Ragnarok, and. It, it went just the way Ragnarok is supposed to go, and the and the gods died. And I thought, well, that sucks. <laughs> and then you know there was a hiatus for a while, and they came back with a whole new Thor series, you know, which which was met with great acclaim and everything because it was what's his face from uh, from Babylon Five, Straczynski. Yeah, and it's not like it was bad or anything, but I only stuck with that for like the first dozen issues because. Like I say, it wasn't bad, but I didn't really care for for where he was going with the story. But the two 
things that just ruined it for me, the two things that I just couldn't get past was that he immediately brought back Don Blake, which I was I always thought was a big mistake. I was like, why why bring him back? Yeah, there was that didn't seem to to fill any need or, or request or anything. I mean, he had been done away with in Simonson's series. I, I thought that Simonson basically proved you you don't need him. He'd kind of outlived his usefulness. But then also, I couldn't get over the fact that ultimately what was the point of Ragnarok if everybody dies and then six months later, oh, well, you know, you can just bring everybody back. I, I, that really didn't ever work for me. Ragnarok was supposed to be this huge thing that, that the gods feared. You know, it was the end of the world for them. And it was, except, mm-hmm. well, it wasn't. Because then everybody just gets rebooted. And I was like, really? That's pretty lame. Well, so... I think what they did was they, they basically kind of backed themselves into a corner a little bit. Because they threatened right. Ragnarok so many times that it just came to the point where it was like, you know, come on, you got to just finally do it. So, right. what, so what they've done now is they've created this you know, cycle of death and rebirth for the gods. And I think recently, and I don't know how this went, but I think recently there was a whole thing where Thor was fighting to try and end the cycle of death and rebirth, to make it, you know, that they didn't have to die, or, you know, if they did die, it was going to be permanent kind of thing. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, but still. You know, once you've done that story, then then you've done it. You know what I mean? It, mm-hmm. it's, you you kind of take that threat... You know, off the table. It's like you know the death of Superman. Well, you know, now you've done it, so you know you, you don't you don't have that to fall back on now. That, and that's kind of the way it is with everything now, though. Like when uh, when they recently had Sentry uh, tear Ares apart in uh, Siege. You know, it, it's like it was done with the knowledge that okay, you know, it's just a matter of time, and then he'll pop up again. It's just you know when. Death, death is no longer a, uh, you know, it's it's no longer the end of things in comics. Right. I think so. it's different, though, when you're talking about, like, I don't know, like, say, Aunt May or somebody, and you're talking about the gods, you know, Thor and, and especially Odin. And I don't know, it's just somehow, to me, it feels differently, like... You know, if if you're going to tell that story, then you be you know you better be damn prepared to follow through. And they weren't. You know, they clearly they weren't because they told that story, and then you know it was a very short time later that you know they just you know started they brought everybody right back, and it was and it wasn't so much even that they brought everybody right back. It was that they brought everybody back, and it's like well, and now it's like it never really happened. And I don't know that sort of thing always. It always makes me a little crazy, but it just felt different being Thor. Like, if they were all going to come back, then there should have been a price that was paid for Ragnarok, and there really wasn't. You know, the price that was con- you know that was paid was that they were inconvenienced by being dead for six <laughs> months. You know, it's like, well, that's it? Okay, well, you know, Ragnarok, eh, it's not that big a deal next time. Yeah, you know? I mean, that, well, that is the thing. It's when you threaten it too many times... Eventually, you have to do it, and once you do it, you know, cat's out of the bag. That's it. Right. So thanks for bringing that issue of uh, Thor to the table. <laughs> <laughs> I, I may not be able to get a book next mo- next time around because we've discussed so many today that uh, there may not be anything left. 
I know. I can't wait to listen back to this now to find out how the hell did we wind up on Simonson Thor from Alpha Flight? Anyway, I don't know how that it's happened. It's just an editor's but, month. Yep. There you go. Yeah, that was it. That was it. Well, closing uh, closing thoughts on uh, Alpha Flight number six. I almost forget what I thought about it, but I, you know, it was. Uh, he had a little plug for our Comics Monthly Monday discussion, but it almost reminded me a little bit of the same type of thing as, as that She-Hulk story in that it was an enjoyable story to read, but it didn't feel like it had any kind of lasting value to it beyond just the, you know, just the pleasure of reading that story. Right. You know, they, you, you never thought, even though they tried to build up with this whole, uh, you know, mythology behind these creatures that you know these elemental creatures that were trapped and that she had the gods behind her that were giving her her power uh, you still didn't feel like it was ever going to lead anywhere and and you know that's too bad because i'm sure that's not what burn intended but other than that it was an enjoyable little story and i thought the artwork was great especially considering there were six blank pages I think that's ultimately the curse of something like Alpha Flight that, you know, you know I was saying earlier that one of the things I really liked about that book was that it, it, it took place, you know, in the world that I felt that it should take place in. You know, it took place in Canada and it dealt with Canadian characters and a Canadian environment, Canadian threats, blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, I think that kind of works against the book from a historical standpoint because then you, you know, by not being a part of the Marvel universe. Um, I mean, yeah, it's a part of the Marvel universe, but being detached that way so that, you know, they're, they're not involved with, you know, the next big X-Men crossover or, you know, when Galactus comes to earth or, you know, some big Thanos crossover with the Avengers or something like that, then it's kind of off in left field. And even as awesome as the book was, the story's, largely get forgotten because they're largely forgettable you know they're, they're mm-hmm. not quote-unquote important stories and uh and that's a shame but that you know that happens a lot that <laughs> you know that's comics you know yeah the ones we remember are the big you know the big storylines you know the big game changers and and things that shook up the world as opposed to you know you might not remember you know some issue of of alpha flight for example that was really great just because it told a, a really good story. I think again, you know, you talked earlier about the kid who collected Spider-Man. I think that's that really speaks to that comic that, you know, it wasn't a story like that. It was just a really really good story and we all remember it. I, I think I think that's neat because that doesn't happen very often. It's usually the big game changers that we all remember. Right. Yeah, we remember Elf Flight number 12 because Gordon right. got killed in it. Right. But Alpha Flight number six, you know, doesn't necessarily jump out at you. Right. But the kid who collected Spider Man was just just hit such a chord. I mean, that's it's a rare book that you get a, uh, you know, a reaction like that from people. Oh, definitely, definitely. I love that book. Well, for my selection, we're going to jump over to the distinguished competition. We're going to go back to September. 1977. Ooh, that's my heyday. <laughs> this, you know, you may remember this one then. I love this. This actually sports one of my favorite comic book covers. This is Black Lightning, number four. 
It's got a cover on it by Trevor Von Eden and my favorite, Vinny Coletta. <laughs> and it's got a Jimmy Olsen has just, uh, something awful has just happened to Jimmy Olsen, which makes me very happy. And you've got uh, Black Lightning is holding the front of unconscious Jimmy Olsen's uh, styling sports blazer, and he's got his fist, his other hand is balled up into a fist, and he looks like he's just going to continue to punch the daylights out of Jimmy Olsen, even though he's unconscious. He looks but, like he's going to slam his head against that brick chimney. Yes! <laughs> and he's just about to do Olsen in, and he looks to his uh, to his left, and we just see just the, the you know, just the, the edge of a red cape and we see just a little bit of blue legging and a big red boot. So we know who's just made the scene. And he says, hands off black lightning, because if you've killed Jimmy Olsen, I'm going to kick your ass. And I love this cover. It is awesome. And, uh, I do. I really like this one because you, you just, you get just enough of it and it's right in the foreground, right in your face that you know exactly who just showed up. It's pretty cool. I love it when Superman makes a uh, makes a dramatic entrance. So, uh, and you know, I'm really glad that uh, that they put the word uh, uh, "black" in the title here because otherwise, I don't know if I would know which character that uh, that they were pointing out was supposed to be the the hero here on the on the cover. This sort of thing drives me crazy. Why couldn't the guy just be called Lightning, you know, or or something? Why does it have to be Black Lightning? But I think we've talked about that in the past. Every time it's a black character, they have to make sure to put black in the title. I mean, he's not called White Superman. Like Goliath? Like yeah. Well, there's a ton of them. It's, it's ridiculous. Anyway, I was a little bit confused by the little, uh, I don't know what you ever called these things, the or, origin box, I guess. You know, Superman had his, you know, it was the, you know, rocketed to Earth as a, you know, as an infant type of thing. This one says, Jefferson Pierce, it says, a man who came home and found that home uh found that home in the merciless grip of the 100 are they saying was he a veteran did he come home from a war or something i think he may have been i think he may have been a vietnam vet at that time but i'm not you know, yeah. don't, don't hold me to that if yes. i'm wrong uh, see that kind of tickled my brain too like maybe i had read that at some time that he was like a a, a vietnam vet or something but yeah i didn't I think they should have spelled that out a little bit better. But anyway, this uh, this story is called "Beware the Cyclotronic Man," and it's written by Tony Isabella. And the uh, interior art again, same same team as the uh, the beautiful cover on this. It's uh, Trevor Von Eden and Vince Coletta. And uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of either of these guys, but uh, the art in this not too bad. Um, it's very different from the way I remember Trevor Von Eden. I don't remember ever really being a fan of Trevor Von Eden's art. But, uh, again, it's not too bad in this. And this story starts off, and uh, it's in a warehouse, and Black Lightning is leaping at us, the reader, as he's trying to get away from the uh, Metropolis Police Department that is shooting at him in the background. And Black Lightning, you know, this is just his fourth issue. The cops don't know what to make of him. They, I guess they think he's a bad guy. And Black Lightning's he's kind of grousing to himself in a in an inner monologue about, you know, he's he's working his ass off trying to take down the one hundred. 
And somehow or other, it looks like he has just foiled some scheme of theirs, something to do with, I don't know, drugs or something, and uh, and led the cops right here so that they could take over. And instead, they end up shooting at him and totally missing the fact that, uh, you know, that, that he just handed them this drug bust. So he, sw- he grabs onto this, uh, it's like ball and tackle thing. He swings all around, slams into the cops, and he's about to get away when someone hollers at him from off panel saying, hold it right there, mister. And he turns and it's this uh, black cop and Jimmy Olsen and black lightning slams into the cop, takes him down. And then he slams into uh, to Jimmy Olsen. And this was a part of the story. I didn't quite understand. It kind of made it sound like maybe these two had met before because black lightning was, uh, was really giving it to Jimmy Olsen and something about, you know, Jimmy Olsen had been giving him a hard time in the press or something. But then Jimmy Olsen, uh, later, after Black Lightning gets away, tells the cop that he'd never met Black Lightning before, so he didn't know what Black Lightning was talking about. So I don't know if this is like a like a chameleon type of situation where somebody had been disguising themselves as Jimmy Olsen or something. I don't know. The, the story didn't really make it clear what was going on there. But I love the fact that... Uh, Black Lightning really gives it to Jimmy Olsen, including uh, punching him uh, kind of below the belt, it looks like, in this one panel. <laughs> Jimmy's just got this look on his face like, ooh, <laughs> that's no fair hitting a guy down there. And he also, Jimmy Olsen, it's like he tries to to talk to Black Lightning like a black guy, which is both hilarious and insulting at the same time. He uh, There's a, a moment where he fights back with Black Lightning. He says, uh, uh, he says, you know, he goes, even though, I, uh, even if I had the slightest notion of what you were talking about, he says, I still wouldn't dig being pushed around by some bargain, ba- bargain basement Batman. And uh, there was another one where he said something like that, too. I'm trying to find it here. There was another moment where he said something like, ah, where is it? Where is it? Oh, here it is. As lightning's running away, he says, lightning wasn't uh, trying to jive me. He said, that cat actually believes I'm working against him. But why? And I'm like, Jimmy, just don't, don't, don't even try, man. You're, you're far too white for this. So Black Lightning, he escapes. And Jimmy and the policeman are, are left to just wonder what that was all about. In the meantime, this scene has been being watched by one of the weirdest looking bad guys I've ever seen. This guy, his name is Tobias Whale. And he kind of looks like a cross between like, like the Kingpin and Egghead and the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. <laughs> He's really weird looking. He's just like this big amorphous blob that's sort of in the shape of the kingpin. He's really weird. And he's bragging about the fact that, you know, don't, because one of his henchmen is like, hey, boss, you know, aren't you worried about the drugs? And he's like, ah, it's not a big deal. You know, I was forewarned that this was going to happen. And, you know, the bulk of the shipment was moved somewhere else. So, you know, don't sweat it. Everything's going according to plan. And soon, you know, we'll get a chance to not only take out Black Lightning, but Superman as well. And one of his henchmen says, 
wait, you know, how we're going to go up against Superman and uh, this other uh, henchman that's there. His name is Ned Cregan. He sets himself on fire, burns off his skin and his clothes and everything, reveals himself to be the Cyclotronic Man. And it turns out that this guy has appeared before, and it gives a little flashback to his original appearance. He was a villain called Bag of Bones back in Batman 195. He fought Batman and Robin. And he looked at that time a lot like, um, oh, God, who's that? Ah, I can't think of his name. There's a Batman villain that's basically just a glowing skeleton. And he can touch people and, and like, burn them and, like, burn through things. Oh, I can't remember what his name is. Vaguely know, but I can't remember. Yeah, it's like Dr. Is it Doc Phosphorus? Maybe that's it. Dr. Phosphorus. He kind of looks like him in his original appearance. But now, now that he's calling himself the Cyclotronic Man, his look is very much like, uh, it's like a cross between Ambush Bug and the Chameleon. It's actually a really cool look. He's basically... um, He's basically like in a in a skin tight, full body green, like a bodysuit, but with like a Spider Man style mask on. It's it's kind of kind of a cool look. It's uh, not very dynamic though. I mean, there's no like stripes or emblems or anything. It's it's really just a green bodysuit. So he doesn't have like a big C on his chest or anything like that. But it's still pretty cool. And he says that you know his powers have been ramped up and everything, so he's actually spoiling for this fight. In the meantime, we cut back to uh, Black Lightning, and he's hanging out, and just really bummed out about the fact that he can't seem to make much progress fighting this group called the 100 because the cops are constantly harassing him. They just don't get it that you know he's trying to be a hero and everything. And he's also feeling that uh, somebody in his... Uh, his supporting characters cast maybe working against him. And he's trying to figure out who it is and who it might possibly be. Now, I, I don't know nothing about what's going on in this title. I don't, I, I, you know, I remember as a kid, I read the next issue past this because it had an appearance with Superman, but that was, you know, probably 30 years ago or better. I don't remember what's happening, but I'm pretty sure just in a couple of panels, I know exactly which one of his uh, his little inner circle of supporting characters is uh, is the traitor here. I'd be very curious to know if uh, if I'm right about that because it doesn't seem that it's all that big of a mystery just by the hints that are dropped. So we cut to Metropolis uh, General Hospital, where Jimmy Olsen is stopping by to visit uh, Inspector Henderson in the hospital and I'm not sure what that's all about, but it was kind of cool to see inspector Henderson, you know, another uh, supporting character from Superman's universe. And as Jimmy leaves, the uh, cyclotronic man makes his move and he swoops down, picks up Jimmy and flies off with him. Somehow or other, I guess the cyclotronic man can fly. So as he's flying away with Jimmy as his hostage, they just so happen to conveniently fly right by a window where uh, Black Lightning and his uh, regular guys of Jefferson Pierce just happens to be looking out the window right at the right time, sees this going on, figures that uh, Jimmy doesn't look like he's enjoying what's, what's happening to him. So he runs out, switches back to Black Lightning, and he has he says in this story something about 
a special belt that he wears that increases his strength. Now, again, I don't know much about Black Lightning, but I don't remember this. Uh, but anyway, so he's got a special belt that increases his strength. So he leaps way up into the sky, grabs a hold of the Cyclotronic Man. Well, the Cyclotronic Man can't support all this weight. He was just barely able to uh, to stay aloft holding Jimmy. He can't stay aloft holding Jimmy and Black Lightning, so they all plummet to the ground, and Cyclotronic Man starts blasting at them with his powers, and he's given them uh, quite a fight. He can hit them, but they can't hit him because he can just set up some sort of like repulsor field around his body where they can't touch him. And the Cyclotronic Man... He's uh, laying into Jimmy Olsen. Well, Black Lightning figures out that when uh, when he's attacking them, that means his shield is down. So Black Lightning attacks him, knocks him down. He's about to move in on him when the Cyclotronic Man uses his powers to age the roof centuries in seconds. And the roof starts to collapse and Black Lightning falls over the edge. But a hand reach us, reaches out and grabs him and saves him from falling to his death. And it's Jimmy Olsen. So now they're buddies and they team up and they're going to take out the cyclotronic man. But he's got the jump on them and he uses his powers to set up some weird glowy thing around them. He slams Jimmy Olsen into a chimney and uh, Black Lightning thinks that he's just killed Jimmy. And... So then Black Lightning starts to like drift off into the sky and it looks like... Uh, the plan here is to is to raise him up into the sky and then cancel this glowy thing around him and let him plummet to his death. But again, Black Lightning uses this magic belt of his to cancel the force field, and he comes charging in, and the cyclotronic man slams into him, belts him unconscious. So the bad guy's taken out. Black Lightning moves in to see that Jimmy's, you know, to check on Jimmy and uh, says, Thank heavens, he's breathing. He says, brother, did I misjudge him to think uh, he saved my life even after I... And then you see off-panel, this big, boldly worded word balloon says, get away from him, Black Lightning. And Black Lightning just has a look on his face. And he's thinking to himself, oh, no. And on the very last page, you turn the page, it's a full-page uh, splash page, beautiful, beautiful picture. Even though it's Vinnie Coletta inking it, it's still awesome. And in the bottom of the panel, we see uh, Black Lightning. We just get the back of his head. The whole rest of the panel is taken up by one pissed-off-looking Superman. He looks awesome. He's pointing at Black Lightning with one accusing finger. His other hand is balled up into a fist, and he's going, I heard how you attacked Jimmy last night, but I didn't think you'd be stupid enough to try it again. You'd better pray he's all right, rat, <laughs> because if he isn't, I'll take you apart. This is a fatal misunderstanding, and Black Lightning's on the wrong side of the most powerful man on Earth. Whatever you do... Wherever you are, you must not miss. Next issue's action-packed climax, nobody beats a Superman. And I'm like, you know, this was kind of a crap issue until you get to that final splash. And then it's like, oh, shit, he's about to get his ass whooped. And uh, 
and I liked it. I thought, I thought this was a lot of fun. I got a big kick out of it. Now, have you ever read this one? No, I never did. Uh, but I, I read it when I read along with you, <laughs> and uh, I, I took some notes as we were going through it. Uh, what did I see here? Oh, I, I liked starting right from the cover. I liked the surprised look on Black Lightning's face with, with when Superman's coming at him, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I just thought it. I, I think it's a real dynamic cover, and, and like you said, the, the framing of it with Superman's feet, basically, and, and the bottom of his cape being all that you see, mm-hmm. uh, and, and Black Lightning you know, basically beating the crap out of Jimmy. Uh, <laughs> just, just a real, real nice cover, and, and you know, almost all red, basically. Yeah. Uh, I think there should be a puddle at Black Lightning's feet, though. I really do. <laughs> a, running down on his leg. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> I I don't know why, but I really I can't put my finger on exactly the reason. But I like the coloring in this sh- in this issue. Mm-hmm. And and no one is credited with the coloring on yeah the, uh, on the splash page, which surprised me. Uh, what else about it? The artwork. I'm not really that familiar with Trevor Van Eaton, and I think it's because nothing really stood out to me by him right. back then. Uh, reminds me. I'm trying to remember. I think it's Tony Isabella that it reminds me of. No, Tony Isabella is the writer. Yeah, he's the there's, writer. There's another artist out there. Not uh, not George Tusca, but somebody else who who maybe worked on Luke Cage. Actually, this does look a bit that the page um, page six with Batman and Robin. Robin actually looks a lot like a George Tusca drawing. Now that you say that, well, I did have a note on page six that I thought the art took a down, <laughs> took a downturn yes. on that page. Yeah, it does. Uh, I, I I really thought it it just seemed to you know the art was pretty good throughout, and it got to that page and all of a sudden it just seemed to like all of a sudden it lost its detail. It, the inking waxes and wanes, which I think is uh, very indicative of uh, of Vinny Coletta. He's, I think, he's very inconsistent myself. Mm-hmm. And that's something that lately is I'm um, paying more a lot more attention to inking now than I ever did in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm finding that that if I look at sometimes artwork that I don't like, if I look at it closely, I can kind of see that the the layouts and the actual sketching is pretty good and I don't like the inking. Uh and 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 it's a, it's a bad thing because uh, you know it makes inkers basically the villain when things are bad but unknown when things are good. Right. And 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 you know that's that's not right because when it is good I'm sure they're they're adding a lot to it. But it, it, like I said if if I can see the underlying artwork and I like what that looks like uh then I'm going to blame the inker. And in this case, I think that may be exactly it because the artwork is generally strong throughout. Uh, you know, not spectacular, but you know, solid. And then you get to that page, and it's it, it's terrible to me. And I, and I think it's the inking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree uh, with you. What else? Uh, page eight. I really think I don't know. I thought it was just a poor choice when he's thinking about the two people who could be blackmailing him. Right, <laughs> just a big close-up of his eye there. I just yeah. didn't like that at all. Uh, I also thought, and I think this goes to the ink also. When the scene when uh, when 
the villain uh, makes the roof age and collapse on the bottom right, uh, bottom left panel where it shows the opening that's causing him to fall. Uh, it just doesn't do it for me. It doesn't look good. Where he's going, whoa, whoa. yeah, yeah, exactly that one. Just yeah, it does. but like looking at the building, it looks like like you know, Vinny Coletta once again took the easy way out. Mm-hmm. You know, let me, I'll just put in an outline here. Won't, won't make it actually look like anything's collapsing. Hey, Paul, do you have uh, do you have anything open as far as like a, a, a browser window or anything like that? Uh, yeah, I do. Okay, just because you're a little choppy at the moment is all. Okay, well, I just close that. Uh, let me close this too. Okay, I'm pretty much just what I'm using is open now, which is very little. And any better? Yeah, I think so. It's hard to tell, but I think so. It's weird. It just started, and it's weird. I'm. It's like just a little bit of that stupid Skype lag. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like yeah, just a little that. stuttery between words. Well, I mean, the the only other note I took was which you already pretty much did justice to it, the shot of Superman on the final page. I just think mm-hmm. it it's laid out so, so well because it shows anger, power, force. Uh, you know, everything about it just really conveys, I think, you know, the, the story the way they want to. And it, and it does make you want to pick up the next issue. Oh, definitely. Now, I, you know, I've read the, uh, the next issue, but again, you know, I read it many, 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 many years ago as a kid when that was the only issue I had of this. I don't know where I got the rest of this series because I, I think I have the entire run on Black Lightning, which, I mean, it didn't run but, well, like seven or eight issues. Mm-hmm. But somewhere in the intervening years, I have actually got the entire series. Again, I don't know where from. But uh, I, I'd never read any of these except the one um, with Superman. And that one's got a really dynamic cover on it, too. But I, I'm going to have to dig that out now to just to refresh myself and, and see what happens in that story. Because I'm really curious, you know, did, did Black Lightning get a beatdown or not? I'm really curious how, how that story plays. Yeah, I, mean, he's I am, a, too. He's a powerful character, but I don't think that there's any chance at all that he stood up to Superman. So I'm very curious how uh, how that would have played out. Well, if you go to the tropes of mid-70s, my guess would be, without looking at it first, that they spar for two or three pages. And at some point, either Superman has him right on the verge of defeat and then pulls back or... Black Lightning somehow just gets his message across and Superman right. stops. One, one or the other. That would be my guess. And then they team up to fight this, what's his name, Cyclotron. Right. What, uh, what year did uh, Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man come out? Was that 76? Uh, that would be my first guess on it. So that means that predates this then because I, I, I find that the way this one ends reminds me an awful lot of the way the chapter ends, or is it actually the chapter starts with uh, when Spider-Man and Superman actually meet face to face for the first time. It's very similar to this because it's on a rooftop with Superman, you know, accusing somebody who hasn't really done anything wrong you know he's he's totally misreading the situation and coming on a little stride it's it's very similar mm. 
that Superman does the same exact thing in that because he thinks that uh, that Spider-Man has hurt Lois. And he's fully prepared to mop the floor with him in that one, too. Some good ads in this one. We got a uh, a Hostess Twinkies ad. Now, it's not the, the classic, you know, telling a story type one. This one's actually about baseball cards, but it's just nice to see a... Nice to see a Hostess Twinkies ad. Let me see what else we got here. I know there was one or two others that I thought were interesting in this. You know, just some nice old classic ads from around this time. Let's see. Daisy BB Gun ad. Oh, we got the one for Crazy Crabs. No, thank you. I don't need any Crazy Crabs. (laughs) The Great Superman Movie Contest. I thought was really cool. Yeah, I, I remember seeing that, but I never heard anything about like who won or. Oh, it's uh, they're in the movie. It's I mean, it's one of those like blink and you'll miss them type of things. But there, <laughs> there are a couple of the kids in the uh, in the Smallville scene. You know, the Smallville uh, high school football scene. Right, right. And when they're when the kids are all preparing to, uh, you know, the game's done and they're preparing to drive off in Brad's car and they're leaving you know, teenage Clark behind and all. It's a couple of the kids in that scene are the contest winners. So, you know, they call it the great Superman movie contest. And it's like, well, you know, if they're talking about the, the part you're going to play, not so great. Cause yeah, it's, <laughs> they're, it's not like they're front and center in any of the scenes. And to, to go off on a total tangent again, cause we haven't done that enough tonight. Uh, <laughs> I recently heard, and I, it may have been from you. I'm not even sure, but I had not known, that uh, the scenes in Smallville, actually Christopher Reeve dubbed the voice. Yes. that I did not know that until recently. Yeah, yeah, he dubbed uh, Jeff East's voice in those parts. Yeah, and I, d- I didn't know that until I saw Jeff East in another movie, and I want to say it was the day after, I think, and uh, and he had a completely different voice, and I was like, whoa, he sounds different. And then it was not long after that that I learned that, oh, yeah, he was dubbed in Superman the movie, which I always yeah, thought was kind of strange. And, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but knowing it now, I mean, Christopher Reeve did a really good job of sounding like a teenager. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. We got the uh, the classic, at last, the thrilling return of Mr. Miracle ad with art by... Uh, Steve Englehart, or I mean uh, with uh, Marshall Rogers, rather. This was the run that was written by Steve Englehart with art by Marshall Rogers. I've always I've liked that. I've never read that. that I, I'm sure I would like that run, though. It's uh, The art's beautiful. I don't remember the stories very much, but the art is absolutely gorgeous in that. Well, Steve Englehart's one of my favorites, and Marshall Rogers is awesome. Oh, yeah. It's an ad so here. I, I always mean to look into this, and I never do, but it's called Star Hunters. Written by David Michelini with art by Don Newton and Bob Layton. You would think that that would look really fantastic. Yeah. I, I'm not familiar with it, though. Yeah, I'm not either. It says it was in DC Superstars number 16, but I don't know. I have to look into that and see if that ever actually really came out or not. Sky Heroes. And I love ads like this. This is one of those classic comic book ads where it's uh, those little, like, glider plane-looking things. Mm-hmm. And you've got Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, and Captain America. And I love these kind of ads because, again, this is what created that that world for me where all of my action figures got along and lived in the same world. You know, So I thought <laughs> nothing as a kid of having like my, my Mego 
Superman and, and Captain America be best buddies and hanging out and, you know, having a beer at the at, in the Enterprise Bridge playset or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> to me, they all just they all worked together. They all hung out because, you know, they were on they were on these ad pages together because the DC <laughs> comics had Marvel characters in some of their ads and the Marvel characters had DC com- uh, characters in some of their ads. So just never thought anything of it. I segregated my heroes very early on. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I remember when Superman vs. Spider-Man came out just being like amazed by the whole concept that they could be yeah. in the same book together yeah let's see every month all new double length action we've got uh, Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes and you can't make out what cover it is it says the issue is what 250 something two... I can't make it out and then the Justice League of America is one that I just got not long ago, and I think I got it from Mike Bailey. It's Justice League uh, 146, this big, goofy-looking robot. It's one of those uh, Dick Dillon covers. Mm-hmm. Sorry, just never really cared for Dick Dillon. Oh, <laughs> we got the classic. The back cover is the classic. Come see us at SeaWorld uh, ad with <laughs> water skiing Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, and Robin. I love that. <laughs> I really enjoyed when they had those those oversized, not oversized, but those thicker issues, though, in Legion and, and Justice League. Yeah. I, I kind of, you know, well, now if they did that, they'd have charged, you know, six fifty or $7 yeah, for it. So, But, you know, back then when it was, you know, 35 cents instead of 25. Right, yeah, you'd have, thir- you know, for like 35 cents or something, you'd get those massive issues. And, you know, sometimes the story, the the proper story would be double length or something. But then you'd get, you know, some nice old reprints and stuff. I used to like that stuff because it was, uh, again, it was that was really the only way to have access to older stories and things was was from those nice big thick reprint books. I used to like that stuff too. Mm-hmm. Me too. There's a nice uh, publishorial in here too, all about the origin and the and the history of Swamp Thing, which I thought was really cool, and it reminded me that. Uh, I was supposed to write a letter to uh, Hey Kid, Hey Kids Comics, <laughs> quite a while ago that I totally forgot because uh, I guess they don't they misunderstood something that I wrote into the show about. I was giving them a hard time about you know the fact that they had never read uh, apparently had never read the original uh, Len Wein Bernie Wrightson issues of Swamp Thing. But my letter just confused them because they were like, wait a minute, I thought you said that before Alan Moore showed up, Swamp Thing wasn't any good. So they were mistaking what I was talking about because there was actually, you know, there was the original Swamp Thing series. Right. And then years later, there was the the saga of the Swamp Thing. So I want to encourage those guys to go back and check out the original series, at least the first, what was it, like 10 or 12 issues or something that, that Wrightson did. Oh, that's oh, that's just classic stuff. Well, every everything writes and it was great. Oh yeah, phenomenal. But that's uh, that's all I got on Black Lightning number four. I got a big old kick out of it. I thought it was fun. Yeah, I still get a lot of nostalgia out of books like this. Though, just you know, I know they're not the same. They're not epic. They're but they're just fun. Fun, exactly. And that's that's what they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I agree. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. 
You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and is a registered trademark of Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com slash league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.